0: This is Jeff Vidoten with Believe in Chiefs on the Believe Podcast Network, Kansas City's number one sports podcast network. The only place with a show for every team in KC and more. We believe in our teams. Do you believe? On this week's show, former Chiefs offensive lineman Joe Valero and I discuss a little 4th of July plans. Uh, The holiday is coming up. And in the NFL, it's kind of a a unique thing. It's such a grind of a season uh, from there on out. The major other major holidays—you look at Thanksgiving, Christmas, even Labor Day weekend. You're playing, or at least you have an upcoming game. So weekends aren't really free. Um, And in this month, obviously, is when training camps typically begin. They're supposed to begin at toward the end of the month. We hope they do. Yeah, but Joe, yeah, was Fourth of July did have kind of an extra meaning for NFL players.
1: It, Jeff, that's a great point. That, you know, obviously, you know, happy Fourth of July week to you. It's a, um, you know, it's a big holiday for get-togethers and for people kind of celebrating. You know, not. I mean, you kind of have Memorial Day as the official like kickoff of summer, but it's really the big summer holiday, right? Where where families of, you know, all generations can get together and celebrate with a barbecue or picnic and do those things, and it really is a family time. And I think it's. It's exponentially more important for NFL players because, you know, as you and I were talking off air, it's really the only major like I'm going to call it like family holiday, right? That that you that you get to spend together uh, with your extended family because as an NFL player, you know, your your season starts you know, right in the middle of July and then it runs through, you know, if you're fortunate, like I was in the six years in, in, in Kansas city, we, you know, we went to the playoffs every year. And, and so you're extending your season way beyond, you know, the winter holidays of Christmas and new years and things like that. So, you know, it's, it's, um, it's, it's a great way for everybody to get together and 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 it was always in my family the, the it was kind of the send-off, right? It was the chance to spend with my wife Jen and her family and my family. It was a chance for us to spend that last time before we were going back to Kansas City for really, like you had mentioned, the grind, right? And and, and my wife and my wife Jen, you know, like a lot of, you know, families, like we we were uh, we were so busy during the season because Jen was working. Jen was a teacher in Kansas when when I was playing, and so she wasn't able to break free all the time to get home for holidays or buy weeks and things like that. And then and then between playing, so you know, once the season started, it really was until the summer where we got that kind of break to go home and spend significant amount of time with family. And we would generally get get to go home for at least you know three weeks to a month in the summertime uh to spend uh with our extended family. So it was a it was a send off. Now I'm not gonna say that it wasn't a little bit of that, you know, uh I think today in today's terms, a lot of a lot of young people call them the Sunday scaries. Uh I know we used to call it the Sunday dread factor because you know like uh, Sunday, like Sunday night, you know at least I know when I was a kid growing up, like 60 minutes would come on or the wonderful world of Disney would come on. And then you knew like Sunday night was almost over and Monday was back to grind, whether it was work or school. Right. So the 4th of July and that, that little bit of July always had a little bit of what I would call, and I'm putting it in air quotes here, dread factor, because you knew it was your last hurrah, you know, with family and you were getting ready to be almost in, in, for lack of better terms, be isolated, you know, right. from, the, from the rest of the world because you just got so busy with the season and, and, and what was going on. I remember something that was really cool um, coming back from the 4th of July holiday, which was an unbelievable Chiefs memory that I had. As many people know, as many uh, Chiefs fans probably know, the Hunt family did own, um, at least for a time being, um, and I don't know if it's still the same or still true, but I know when I was there in the 90s and for some time before that, the Hunt family owned worlds of fun and oceans of fun. oh that's right he's using park and and i remember a couple of days before we were getting on the plane to head up to river falls and did this a couple in the family a couple times for us during my tenure there in kc is that they rented well he didn't rent out he owned it um he shut it down basically for the chiefs families and so we could invite our family and any extended family that were in town um the park was basically open to just people who were employed by the Kansas City Chiefs and it was so much fun it was such a great way to spend time with family and for you know for players who had children at the time um, to spend that time at the park and have free reign of the park and just uh, you know be able to spend a whole day with great food great friends and and get on all the rides and go to the water park park and do all those things. It was, it was one of my favorite memories as a chief. You know, forget the AFC championship or, you know, forget, you know, forget all those great things that we got a chance to do. But I remember having an unbelievable time with my teammates and families and getting to know their kids at at Worlds of Fun and Oceans of Fun. And I thought that was a really cool gift that the Hunt family gave. Uh, It was almost like a you know in in keeping in the spirit of our Fourth of July send-off uh, it was it was a great way for us to all get together and and definitely one of my most treasured memories of of playing in Kansas City.
0: Wow, that that's so cool. That's anyone's dream to have the the just free reign of of the park like that, no weights and stuff, and to be with all your teammates and friends and family members. Did they do that? Did the Hunts do that? Like in late July, kind of as a pre-training camp thing, or was it more around Fourth of July? When did they? It
1: was a li- It was kind of late July. It was like almost. It was like right after everybody got back from their fourth, and everybody was back in town. And you know, the Hunt family knew that people would be there, right? Because there was a lot of, you know, there was a lot of players who really took advantage of those. You know, our off-season program, you know, used to end, and and again, this was we're going back into the '90s era when, when we had, you know, everything was set up a little different based on the, the collective bargaining agreement and all the union stuff that was happening back then. We went, oh man, I'm. We probably. We probably went until that third or last week in June with the off-season program. So we we went really hard. So we didn't have a whole lot of time to go home. It was probably somewhere between, I want to say, two and a half to four weeks, depending on, on how the days shook out. And so, you know, most people were hustling home for that, right? They'd go home and spend it with family in their hometowns. And then, and then they would all come back. And a lot of players like to come back at the last minute. So it was, kind of, it was definitely closer towards when we were leaving for training camp. And it was a really, you know, it was a really nice send-off. But it always kind of makes me think of you know the 4th of July at home with family and then doing that with the Hunt family um, in, in the middle towards the end of July before we left for training camp. It always brings up those memories this time of year um, you know, when we're getting ready to celebrate the 4th of July.
0: Totally, and you mentioned those send-offs, as you call them—a a great tor- term for that. Do you remember any specific, uh, particularly memorable send-offs on the Fourth of July for you and your family right before the season? And similarly, you know, I know you. Everyone was probably scattered in their respective hometowns, but do you remember any of the other players, with this like guy like Derek Thomas, who really liked gatherings and stuff, talking about? Oh, I had this big <laughs> reunion or barbecue or something just head before headed heading off yeah, to. Uh, I-
1: yeah, I'm sure every player had their own, you know, huge send-offs because we had some, you know, just our, the team was such a family-oriented team, you know, and and the players back then all just had such great, uh, you know, family support and things like that. Not that they don't today, but I know they did back then. But I know for me personally, one of the major ones was before we went away for '93 training camp because you know, look, I'm from a very big, large Italian family, and you know everybody in my family in 1993 we had this big blowout barbecue and everybody showed up because they wanted to talk about Joe Montana and, <laughs> and 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 so you know he was like this Italian icon right and and all of my Italian family members young old and everybody in between wanted to know what it was going to be like playing with Joe Montana and wanted to know the stories about minicamp and what it was like and getting to meet him and you know little did they know that I would end up getting to catch a touchdown pass from him so that's a whole nother story of this whole Italian American you know uh, you know fandom that that uh, people had with with Joe Montana um, but yeah so I just remember that 1993 send-off just everybody wanting to talk about Joe Montana what it was going to be like having to in their minds at the time obviously the greatest the, you know, quarterback in the history of the NFL, and also who happened to be an Italian American, you know, it just, it was, I just remember just nonstop conversations about, about Joe. And, uh, you know, that, that was, that really got me psyched up. It was kind of like a, uh, you know, a hype session for what the 93 season was going to look like knowing that we had, you know, Marcus Allen and Joe Montana coming into town. And, and I think, I think even my family recognized that we were going to the next level. You know when you when you're, you're sitting with your family and you're you know of course there was great legends that we I played with prior to Joe and Marcus coming but there was something about that season and what people were the anticipation right Joe's on the cover of Sports Illustrated you know it's just like everybody wanted to talk about the Chiefs right two shoe ins obviously for the Hall of Fame and Marcus Allen and Joe Montana coming to KC everybody we're going to the West Coast offense right? Because that was like always conversation is what's it going to be like going from, you know, smash mouth football, you grind it out three yards at a time to, you know, bringing in, you know, a tailback like Marcus, bringing in a quarterback like Joe up, you know, doing upgrades along the the offense to kind of meet the needs of what it was going to be like to, to, to work with a Joe and a Marcus. So, there was a lot of talk that off season. And I remember that 4th of July with everybody saying, Hey, go, go get him!" And, you know, and make sure you tell Joe Montana, you know, hello for us. Of course that was all, everybody on the, everybody on the way out the door is like, Hey, tell Joe, I said, hi. And we're, you we know, wish him all the luck.
0: So the, the Joe Montana, Joe Valero connections are just—it's so cool. Like, I, I mean, you guys are, are forever going to be linked. Like when we had Nate Taylor on the show last week, you know, he—he he grew up in the area, was a big time Chiefs fan. His father rooted for the Chiefs. His grandfather rooted for the Chiefs, and he was so excited to come on because he said, "Yeah, I grew up watching Valero. I, I remember him against the Niners when he caught yeah. the—I mean, that's that's cool. That's like a lasting. What what a cool enduring memory to have."
1: Yeah, it really is. I mean, he, you know, Joe, obviously just, you know, again, I mean, not to overstate it or, or whatever word I'm searching for, but he just raised, you know, he just raised the, the, the visibility of the team. I mean, we had some great, you know, God, think about some of the players prior to that. We had, you know, you know, Derek Thomas and, and, and Christian Nikoye, right. And, and some players who, who gained that sort of national stage and national prominence. Um, but, you know, Joe was just, you know, he just was at that time, it was you know, he was the greatest player really at the time. I mean, it was undisputed. Obviously, now there's always going to be the talk between Brady and Montana, and there's there's still that talk, but you know, it, it was it just raised the expectations, it raised the visibility. You know, I remember, you know, reading, you know, obviously it wasn't the pervasiveness of information like there is today with the internet, but I do remember reading articles and Things in newspapers and sporting magazines about you know the how the uh, you know the Chiefs now were you know stepping into that number one um, spot for merchandising and things like that because everybody you know Joe was so likable and then you, and then you couple it with Marcus coming and the whole Raiders you know kind of background and and him kind of you know, jumping ship from from the Al Davis, you know, team to to the vaunted rivals of of Kansas City. Like it just it had all ninety-three had so many cool stories around it. Um, you know, the the, the team that was known for, like I said, just smash mouth, you know, hand it to Christian going to the right, hand it to the two hundred and forty-five pound Barry Word going to the left, you know, Jonathan Hayes, who was, you know, the biggest tight end at the time in the league as far as you know being like basically an extension of the offensive line. we were we were a grinded out you know smash mouth football team and then all of a sudden to flip it 180 degrees and go to the west coast it just it was so many little things about that 93 season and yes the the, make a long story long even longer the joe montana thing for me you know just uh it, you know it's such a it's it's such a blessing to be like and a privilege to be in those same conversations with him um and and to always be linked to that whole tackle eligible thing um and how that all kind of transpired um yeah just uh, you know it's it's it was just crazy how it all happened and and that people still you know they still remember that right as as you know, the Joe to Joe connection and, you know, and, 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 and the fact that, you know, his wife's name was Jennifer. My wife's name is Jennifer. And, you know, we, we kind of joked about that when he, when he got there to Kansas city, how, you know, I kind of said to him, I said, listen, Joe, I just got to tell you, you know, you, you're the, you're the other Joe and Jennifer. I just want you to know. And, you know, he kind of laughed and we just built that bond. It was, it was really cool.
0: So cool. And uh, speaking of legendary quarterbacks like Joe Montana, the Chiefs obviously have one now in Patrick Mahomes. You know, a lot of people have tried to make historical comparisons. He's obviously so different than a guy like Joe Montana. A lot of people have compared him, and I I get this, to Brett Favre, uh, because they're Mm -hmm. both kind of gunslingers. Their arm strength is just unreal. They were both uh, uh, tutored by Andy Reid. That was during the Packers days for Favre, and, of course, current days uh, with Chiefs for Mahomes, uh, but it's interesting. I was editing in a book, "A uh, Hundred Things Dolphins Fans Should Know and Do Before They Die" by Armando Salguero, a great writer who covers the Dol- Miami Dolphins beat. And he was talking about Dan Marino. People, when they u- used to warm up the Dolphins on the road, uh, like the day before the game, uh, media could come, and it was like just a must-watch event because. And you can look this up on YouTube. Like Marino would throw like behind the back, spin around. And throw it 40 yards in the end zone on Diamond. I'm like, this is just like Mahomes with his no look and uh, passes, his left hand passes, left handed passes. Uh, Joe, your, your career's like coincided. I know you played against Favre, you played against Marino. What, who do you think is the best uh, Mahomes comp and why?
1: You know that's a great question, Jeff, and I love it. This is, a great, this is a great discussion point. I think for our listeners to really think about these comparisons, and, and I love I love making comparisons. Right, that's what ties us to the history of the mm-hmm. game. It's Absolutely. what propels us into the future as we're looking at the the new players and the new prototypes of players that are coming down the road, um, and what the game is going to evolve into and and how it progresses. So I love these comparisons, and and I think. I think, I, personally, I would have to say, you know, I had I had the great fortune of playing with Brett Favre in the East-West Shrine Game is when we were in college together, and um, you know that East-West Shrine Game was was pretty interesting. And and, and not to go off on the side, but just to, just to give a little Brett Favre history and how I got to know him. Brett, Brett was a, you know, he was, um, you know, obviously went in the second round of the, of the draft in 1991. So we came out together. We came the out best the round, together. right? The best round to go in, Joe. Best round, best <laughs> round of, of any draft, of course. Uh, but you know, so so Brett, Brett's Brett's um, stock really rose during that game and during mm-hmm. that week, and I remember, I remember it all happening very vividly and very well. Um, because we had a quarterback from Louisville named Brownie Nagel, sure. Who was, and then there was Dan McGuire, right? Who was Mark McGuire's brother, mm-hmm. right? Out of San Diego State. Those were like some of the key quarterback names back then. And Brett was really like in that background. You know, he was a scrappy kid. You know, from Mississippi, and 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 uh, you know he 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 was um he wasn't um super highly projected as a as a as a super high pick. And what happened was Browning um, Nagel was injured and sick during that week at the East-West Shrine game. So Brett Favre actually ended up playing most of the game and had an unbelievable week. I mean, he just – his all of that fiery nature and his stock really rose that week. And I got to watch it happen. I got to hear the murmuring of the scouts and and some of the people talking about it and the agents that were down there at the East-West Shrine game. Um, and, and, and to watch him and the way that he played in that game, he played – out, he, he was lights out in the East-West Shrine game. And, and I think that really propelled him up even higher into the second round where maybe, you know, I'm no draft prognosticator, but I think maybe he was in, you know, maybe he was in that like third or fourth round range, mm-hmm. maybe low end second round at the, at, the, at, the out, at the outset before those all-star games started. So he he I got to watch that fiery nature. And so having played with him, and having gotten to know him and seen his career, I would probably compare Patrick more to Brett Favre than I would to Dan Marino for, for a couple of reasons. More about the differences than the similarities. I think Brett and Patrick have very similar arms. Brett was, you know, I mean, I mean um, I'm mean, i sorry, let me go back on that. Dan and, and Patrick have very similar arm strength, right? I mean, they're, they can whip that ball, right? I mean, Dan Marino probably could have pitched and in, 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 in been a pitcher in baseball. He just had that kind of arm that arm strength. And like you said, to be able to throw it behind his back and no looks and do it. But I think those are really the only similarities that I see between Dan, other than, well, I shouldn't say the only things. They're both very smart quarterbacks. They're, they're drop back type quarterbacks who, who really get it. But I think Patrick has a lot more mobility than Dan, at least Stand towards the middle to the end of towards his year. career. He
0: was, sure. before he got injured, totally agree. Before he got injured, Marino was uh, more elusive and stuff. Certainly after he tore his Achilles, he had some knee injuries. Yeah. But I agree, actually, even, even during his young, healthy uh, uh, years for Marino, Mahomes was more elusive, absolutely. Yeah, and
1: I think that's where the Brett similarities come in. Mm, I think totally. that, that, you know, Brett was, you know, he always had that nickname, right? That kind of gunslinger you know, wild, wild west type quarterback. It's just things are happening. He's throwing balls. He's doing shovel passes. He's, you know, throwing it over his head backwards. Like, I, you've seen you, – people have seen him do some crazy, crazy things, right? Um, and that's why I would compare him more to Pat, to Patrick. I just think because of the the way that he controls, you know, the whole field, you know, Dan Marino was that classic rock back, seven steps. You know, he was elusive and athletic – But he didn't have, to me, that same mobility and ability, like that playmaker ability that a Patrick has and that a Brett has in comparing them. Um, And that's where I just think they Mm – I would sort of side more towards looking at Brett Favre and Patrick Mahomes being more similar um, and then just kind of just saying Dan and Patrick, really it's the arm that that I think – is where the similarities kind of end for me. Other than that, all three of those quarterbacks were very smart and know their right.
0: offense. And, and great, three, three of the all-timers. Uh, you make a great point about um, Favre's mobility, and some of our younger listeners may not remember who remember Favre kind of latter years, Packers, and maybe even his Vikings years uh, when you know he was an old guy. He was very elusive. He was perfect for the West Coast, a lot like Mahomes. Neither of them were super... Super fast. Even Mahomes isn't that fast, but Mahomes had a great like twenty-yard shuttle time at, at the combine because he like Favre was very like elusive in the pocket mm-hmm. and could bootleg and move around. Um, you know the the other comp though. I, I agree with you. I think Favre is a great comp from Mahomes. But uh, when I was thinking about Marino, two other interesting uh, connections or similarities to Mahomes are so just like. You look at Mahomes now and you're like, how in the world did this guy last 10th overall, you know? And Marino's even fell even further. He was 27th overall granted in one of the all-time drafts yeah. in 83. So that's kind of a comparison. And people thought Marino threw a lot of interception in college. People thought Mahomes, he didn't throw a lot of interceptions, but they th- the passes he was completing in the Big 12, they're like, oh, that's going to be an interception in the NFL. And both are... Uh, very careful with the ball. And then the other comparison, which is kind of neat, was I think Marino had the best, might have had the best passing season of all time in 84 when he threw 48 touchdowns, 17 interceptions over 5,000 yards. Mm -hmm. The previous record holder for touchdowns was 36 by Y.A. Tittle. Nobody had thrown for 40 before. So it was just transcendent. And Mahomes, so that was Marino's second year. He takes the league by storm, gets MVP. Mahomes' second year also earns MVP all his numbers across the board are better than Marino's Mm -hmm. uh, from that year not saying he had you know different passing rules and stuff but it is kind of cool how those guys second years they just became like one of the greats you know yeah
1: those are great man see that's the kind of stuff it's so fun to dig into and Mm -hmm. to dig deep into Um, you know especially when you have the power of the internet and all these statistics sites that are out there and things like that it's so cool you know when you see those kind of um, those analogies get drawn, right? Where you're 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 able to compare based on, you know, looking at those numbers, and those are things I don't think, and you know, sort of, uh, you know, the fans really get a, an insight to unless they really dig deep into it. And because you're right, those are those are t- those are great similarities, and and really, you know, very cool statistical. Uh, you know there's a lot of statistical sameness in those in those two things and um, where if because if you physically looked at the two you would you really wouldn't draw conclusion mm, totally. the that they're similar because you know Dan was that typical back in the 80s that big
0: drop back pass drop
1: man. back six foot four 230 pound you know just you know big like Elway I remember meeting out John Elway for the first time and and, and seeing how big he really was like and, and me and when I met Dan Marino for the first time I and mean how big he was like those quarterbacks back then were they were big dudes man they were they were just get back in the pocket sturdy take a hit right nobody was protecting quarterbacks back then man nobody, right nobody you know you were either you were either super elusive and I'm gonna go way way to some of our younger listeners might not remember, like the Fran Tarkentines of the mm-hmm. world, right? Who, you know, he's scatting around back there and people were, he's ducking and weaving and bobbing and, you know, avoiding people. And then, you know, then you had those, you had those type of quarterbacks and then you had the big hulking guys who could just take a hit, like, you know, with that blind side, just bam, you know? And that's where, uh, you know, I think a, a Patrick Mahomes uh, is a little bit different than, than a Marino or an Elway in his ability ability to not take hits you know he has an incredible it's like his eyes in the back of his head and things like where he can just feel the pocket collapsing it's like this this sixth sense that these these quarterbacks have to be able to avoid it that I don't think they all had back then in the 80s you know they just basically stood back there and just took those hits and and it's it's a little bit of a different uh, you know mentality now for quarterbacks to be able to avoid those. Well,
0: what it's funny when I was looking this up because I think of the same thing, kind of the different uh, body compositions. So when I was looking this up, uh, Marino's like six four, about two twenty listed on Pro Football Reference. Mahomes is officially listed at six three, two thirty. So there's not that much difference, but I think you know Mahomes is a big strapping kitty enough yeah. to be durable and pounding. Haven't seen him up close, Joe. So he's not six three. Like he's he's you know like he, he's certainly tall enough. That's not you know he's not like Drew Brees level. But he yeah. he you know when you see the Marinos and stuff, there, they look a little more imposing. Yeah. And I, I believe didn't you play in a pretty memorable game against Marino? Was uh, we talked about the '93 season? Wasn't the next season uh, Montana's last? You guys faced. Marino in the playoffs any memory I know you're so focused on on just the Dolphins defense but any memories of kind of seeing him or things like that
1: I mean it was you know it was well number one it was really cool to see those two facing off because you know I mean I was on you know the younger end compared to those two guys, at least. Um, mm-hmm. You know, they've been playing a long time, and those were those were two players. Again, I go back to the Italian American thing, right? Amorino <laughs> was another favorite in our house because his you know name ended in a vowel. Uh, you know, so the, when when I go back and I think about like growing up and watching those two, right? You think about some of those games that that, that what was it, the Chargers Dolphins game? That was oh, like it was so memorable time slugfest, right? And and Dan Marino, my guys, you know, he's a pit He's from Pennsylvania, went to Mm -hmm. Pittsburgh central Catholic, you know, like he kind of had that Pennsylvania pride thing going for me. And, um, you know, it's just, um, I just remember seeing those two out there on the field and thinking, God, am I really doing this? Like that, that's (laughs) what I, that's what I remember most Uh. about that game and obviously losing and it being Joe Montana's last game and really knowing that it was at that point, Mm -hmm. we knew that he was done at that point. But the, um, you know the game. The game was just it wasn't a it wasn't a great game for us. You know, kind of just it just didn't something didn't happen in that game, and it just kind of we just kind of fizzled out um, in, in that in that playoff game against the Dolphins, and and so you know, just my biggest memory of that was seeing those two guys. You know, two of my all time favorites watching growing up. Uh, guys that I had, you know, emulated in the backyard, you know, uh, throwing the ball around, uh, seeing them out there on the field together was 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 really cool, um, and knowing that both of them were really kind of getting towards the end of, of their career. so that was that was a thrill, that was a treat, um, even though we did lose. But yeah, it was even though you know Patrick it, plus two Jeff, you got to remember player when you talk about body composition, two thirty back then was a lot different than two thirty today. Totally. Dan Marino, while I'm sure he worked out and I'm mm-hmm. sure he spent some time in the weight room and things like that, you know, 230 pounds of muscle is a lot more than 230 pounds. You know, you have to be when you're 230 pounds and you're not muscular the way that a Patrick Mahomes is, you know, it's a different 230. That's a great And point. because, you know, what's that? Old, there's an old saying and I can't remember the f- the physiological formula, but like body fat weighs like, one-third of what muscle weighs. So or muscle is, and put it the other flip side, like muscle is, is, is almost two to three times heavier than fat. So when you're 230 and you're muscular, you can be a lot more lean. You know, like 230 today, the way that these players lift, and I'm sure the way just looking at his body type, the way that Patrick Mahomes probably lifts weights, you don't need to be really big. And I'm using, I'm using the term big in, in, in air quotes again. Like you don't have to be super big to be 230 if you have a lot of muscle because it weighs so much more than fat. And I'm not saying Dan Marino was fat, but mm-hmm. he probably wasn't as, quote, muscular as as Patrick Mahomes is. So when you were 230 back then, you looked a lot bigger because you had a lot more body fat on you. Um, you. You didn't have as much muscle the way that these guys lift today. I mean, you think about the regimen that they go through and the mm-hmm. quarterbacks go through even um, to stay healthy for 17 games with the players that are – you know the players that are out there; these physical specimens, right? They're, the players are basically outgrowing the pads for crying out loud. I mean, you know the 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 the, the linemen, the defensive linemen that are. You know, six foot three, 330 pounds, running four, 440s. Like, what? How does that even happen? And so the muscle part of it, I think, is what probably makes Patrick not look as big, even though he might in the program be the That's same weight. Point. Yeah. It was a little bit of a different. And plus, you know, you, you're probably right. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. That six, three <laughs> might be a program height. You know, we used to call those program heights. You know, when they would ask us what, you know, more in college than the NFL because I think the NFL gets a little, little more stringent about those things because of the combine mm-hmm. because you know what somebody is at the combine you can't lie at the combine those those published combine heights you know they they do it in front of the whole crowd right when they're measuring your height college we could fudge it a little bit and and our 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 uh, you know our uh, public relations people in college when they would be doing like the program on media day and they'd say okay what's your height and weight. And then, you know, they'd say, okay, well, what's your program height and weight? You know, like, what do you want to be, <laughs> you know, and everybody always added an extra pound or two here, an ex- extra inch there. Cause when the opposing team was, when the opposing team was looking at the, um, uh, you know, when they're looking at the, at the program before the game, you want, you want to seem bigger than you are. Right. Totally. You want to be like intimidating. So, um, you know, cause I was, I was at the combine, I was six foot four and five eighths. That was my, like literally my, combine height was six four and five eights mm-hmm. but I always went in at six five because that looks so much better oh, Six yeah. got, got around so you know and I remember at one point my college coach was like what do you think you want to go in at six six uh, I, think, I think I'll just go with the six five <laughs> <laughs> I, didn't want to, I didn't want to lie too much
0: I love it like that like the old driver's license measurements. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> well if if you enjoyed this show, please subscribe and rate the show on iTunes. We're available on your favorite directories, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back next week. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.